People often say, you know, what is it about the work that includes pop culture? Well, the work kind of is pop culture. It isn't trying to pull reference from there, it just kind of is that. Named after the Greek goddess of dance and chorus, and also an allusion to historian Sally Baines's seminal book on postmodern dance, Terpsichorean Sneakers, Terpsichore is a platform celebrating female dancers, choreographers, and bodies in motion, curated by me, dance critic and writer Emily May. Posting information, images, and videos of female dance pioneers, both past and present, on a daily basis on our Instagram account, Terpsichore has now started its very own podcast, where I will be interviewing leading women from the dance industry about their lives, careers, and the female artists that have inspired them. For the eighth episode of the podcast, I'm delighted to be interviewing the amazing Yorkshire-born and London-based choreographer, dancer, and director, Holly Blakey. Working across disciplines and cultural spheres, Holly has built a successful career choreographing music videos for the likes of Florence and the Machine, Coldplay and Eve's Tumor, as well as on projects for art galleries and fashion houses such as Dior, Gucci and Burberry. For the past eight years, Holly has also been creating her own work for stage, recently premiering Cowpuncher and its sequel Cowpuncher My Ass at the Southbank Centre in 2018 and 2019 respectively, which both explored cowboy archetypes, the spaghetti western film genre, and featured ostentatious costumes designed by Andreas Krothaler from Vivian Westwood. I couldn't wait to talk to Holly about breaking down boundaries between high and mainstream culture, the importance of accessibility in art, and why she's loathed to use the term contemporary dance. Hi Holly, thank you so much for joining us on the Terpsichore podcast. How are you doing and where are you speaking to us from? I am doing really good. I'm speaking to you from Camden in London today and yeah, I'm good. The sun is out and I'm feeling pretty nice, yeah. That's good. Well, as I said, thanks so much for joining us. And I wanted to kick off with my first question, which kind of goes back right to the very beginning in asking you what were some of your first experiences with dance and how did you initially become interested in the art form? Yeah, well, I started dancing when I was really young. I started doing ballet, like many of us really would do. We would sort of, you know, go to like a local dance school and I did I did ballet and acro and jazz, maybe, I can't really remember. I had this book on ballet, this sort of Anna Pavlova book, and I think I just got a bit obsessed with this idea of doing ballet, and I can't, I can't remember exactly how old I was, but tiny, you know, like four or something. And then I started going to this ballet school, Dance Incorporated, which was in this little kind of sort of shed in a car park, really. It was this tiny little building. Miss Anne and Miss Jane were, were the teachers there. I remember being quite scared of Miss Anne. But it kind of all started there, really. Amazing. And then obviously, as with many people, you start off with ballet, but you kind of ended up progressing more into different styles, including contemporary dance. How did you end up discovering contemporary dance or wanting to explore that as well do you know what I had like quite a back to front ride in sort of everything in in some ways I danced sort of from when I was very young and then I got really ill and I ended up in hospital for a period of time with mental health issues I wasn't allowed to dance when I was in there when I got out my friend took me to a contemporary dance class also in Lancaster it was called Ludus and it had this big nude woman pinned on the back of the wall, like a kind of clay kind of woman. And it was this space that was bright and free and a bit mad, really. And, and I just felt like, OK, 
this feels right. And from there, really, I kind of really got into contemporary dance. When did you kind of realise that it could be something that could be your career path or that you wanted to take forward professionally? I never was interested in anything else and I never really did anything else. And I, in a way, never assumed anything else of myself. I just was quite committed to this one thing after really in many other aspects of my life being quite unearthed and quite sort of nuts, really. And I felt like this was the one place where I showed and felt like a loyalty and devotion to, there was never really another option for me. And so it just happened that way, I think. You ended up going on to do a dance degree at Roehampton University. How did you end up there? And what were some of your most like formative things you learned while you were training there? Well, I didn't really want to go there. I wanted to go to a conservatoire and I was heartbroken that I didn't get in. And I used my sort of illness as a stick to beat myself with as to why I didn't achieve enough and actually in hindsight the best thing happened to me ever by going to Roehampton because it instilled this kind of anger I guess in some ways and also this determination in me to prove to myself mostly I imagine but at the time I was thinking of everyone else that I was good enough and sincere enough and dedicated enough. In truth I've never been great at any sort of education really I'd never really thrived in that environment at school or at Roehampton or wherever But I think that I did go on a personal journey there, which was just a big, you know, I put a big chip on my shoulder and felt like telling everyone to fuck off a lot. And really that made me who I am, I think. So I'm grateful for that journey. I really identify with that actually, because I, in kind of a reverse way, I went to Laban, but I kind of then was worrying about, oh, should I have gone and done something more academic? And then through being at Laban and missing writing so much, I ended up reviewing dance outside of the course and then that right. set me on this kind of path of dance writing. So I think it's interesting how even through doubt and the things that we worry that, oh, if we done the wrong thing actually sets you on a different path for your life. And also to be fair on, on the guys at Roehampton, like I had a great time there and I learned a lot there. And I think a lot about the lessons that I had there and it is great there, you know, and, and you know, it's, it's more academic than it is uh, practical. And I suppose all I meant was I didn't, I wanted to be moving more. You know, there there were some great people there and some great sort of lessons there. Amazing. And obviously since graduating, you've done work for stage now, but I wanted to focus first on that you've done a lot of choreography for music videos for really big names from the likes of Coldplay to Jungle and Ellie Goulding and Florence and the Machine. What attracted you to working in this context of the music industry or why do you, starting off choreographing, what did you enjoy about more being about being behind the camera than in front of it? Yeah, I started choreographing quite young, I suppose, uh, in terms of how the, how it tends to pan out for people I don't know you know when you've you've done something all your life and suddenly you take a slightly different perspective on it and you feel like oh this is where I'm supposed to be and I felt very at home behind the camera and I, I, I'm not a performer and, I, and I've never really been a performer uh, I really enjoy to make work and to sit and look at it and see how it re-establishes itself when it's on new bodies or in new contexts and with using music videos I I found this whole new realm in which to explore what I'd already been like you know so passionate about all my life. Making work for camera as well has this very quickly satisfying process where you make work and it's filmed and then you fix it and then it's out 
has this very cathartic quality that is like healing and kind of exciting and you know initially just working with exciting people was fun. I feel like recently there is kind of this development in what music video choreography can be like I mean when I think of my childhood in the 2000s it's like a group of backup dancers or a boy band doing certain gestures or whatever but now there's like a rise in more explorative kind of different things. You've been described as bringing a contemporary aesthetic to music videos. How would you say that your work differs from traditional music videos or how do you aim to try and work in this context? Well what's interesting to me is that when I first started choreographing music videos I was existing within like a small contemporary dance pool community in London and you know we'd get together and talk about work and we were making live work and when I said that I was going into this music video realm it was very low art it wasn't held in any esteem it was considered to be work that was made for mass culture and therefore not of enough value and I was really sort of interested in in this idea you know if things are made for a lot of people they are worth less and that that was really exciting kind of thing to me and less people were working in this world really because of that those reasons so I, I guess I was taking the work in which I was excited about making which had this more contemporary quality to it I kind of am a bit loathed in a way to use the word contemporary dance because I don't really understand what it means in some ways but I was taking the world in which I was operating and moving it into a new context really and my approach was never different as to whether it was for camera or if it was for stage or if it was for whatever it might be my approach was the same and I think because of of that angle it it, it kind of uh, entered an aesthetic that that now is very commonplace and now we see a lot of it and it's it's kind of great you know it's people uh, disallowing boundaries of things and and that's kind of exciting now you see the likes of like Akram Khan doing a Florence the Machine video or exploring that realm as well which I think is so as you say exciting to break down these boundaries between high and low culture or in inverted commas <laughs> because low culture doesn't sound very complimentary well these are the things I'm super ex- I'm just so interested in that conversation you know of who holds the ticket who holds the key to high art and low art and you know really what what are these rules and what does it mean I, I, I'm very interested in this conversation And what you said about creating for more people is being kind of looked down on, which is so crazy because what's the point in making art if it's not going to be seen? But then we are at the discussion of value, you know, and there's also something beautiful about this completely man-made idea on, you know, what is a Fabergé egg and why is it so beautiful? And sometimes, in fact, I crack open a normal egg and I think, how is this not worth a million pounds? It's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. This, This idea of value and a diamond being worth so much I don't know there's something so romantic about it but stupid at the same time which I love amazing and then coming back to choreographing for music videos I'm wondering if you could describe kind of the collaborative process as well because obviously choreographing for a music video you're working with another artist another art form this a musician how do you kind of go about translating their creation their musical track into uh, movement is there much like dialogue between you and the the artist or how do you go about that well I guess it depends if the artist is involved in the video or if they're not I work with some artists where we are just thinking about physicality and thinking about embodying emotion and ensuring performances have uh, you know this sincerity to it 
that is a you know a bodily sort of function as well they're all very very different sometimes extremely immersive sometimes it'll be born from just a big messy improvisation with the artist and lots of dancers and we try and break down space and try and um, delve into things in a kind of messy way or other times it'll be a lot more considered and of course sometimes the artist won't be in it or involved at all and in fact they just say go and make something and you know sometimes it will be as simple as the enjoyment of dancing to music you know like rhythm and sound and like dancing to beats and stuff you know alternatively coming away from music videos and onto the stage because you have been doing more work in theater uh, recently mainly i'm thinking about cow puncher in 2019 and then followed up by cow puncher my ass in 2020 at the south bank center can you maybe tell me how these projects came about i basically have done quite a lot of work at the south bank center with residencies and and also just made a lot of work there my first work there was some greater class which was a piece that started there and then toured. Yeah, I did a residency with Mika Levy there. We, yeah, we were commissioned to make a new live work, which was Cowpuncher, which was this kind of over-the-top sort of Western cowboy dance, really. We just wanted to have a bit of fun with. And that kind of opened this new sort of way of thinking for me or this new vista I wanted to explore. And, and, and then Cowpuncher My Ass was the sequel. And as you said there, it's like drawing on Western movie genre or spaghetti westerns. What kind of attracted you to this genre film? Do you watch a lot of that genre? No, I don't. I don't. I really don't. I'm more interested in this kind of conflicted cultural iconography of the cowboy. I'm interested in the violence of masculinity and this kind of authorship of the contemporary dance stage alongside that. You know, how can I make a piece of work that exists in a episode format or like uh, how can I create sequels with dance and how can I take a film and resituate it but also you know this kind of thing of the cowboy this hyper masculine super camp thing you know I just I find it really funny and really charming and I, I initially just wanted to make a piece of work that felt quite bright and quite fun it's not long though that you start thinking about cowboys that really you can't, you can't hide from a lot of things uh, that are problematic, you know, there. And so that's why after the first work, it felt so vital really to keep sort of digging and to create this sequel. And we're working on a number three at the moment. Oh, amazing. That's really exciting. So so when you say about it, it felt important to keep digging, would you say then that Cowpuncher was more surface level and then going into the Cowpuncher My Ass was exploring these kind of deeper topics of that I read uh, in articles about it, like gender hierarchies, homophobia and, ra- and racism? You you know we embarked on this very short commission and we were like let's make a cowboy dance let's make this bright fun line dance and of course as I said before a lot of things came up that you couldn't exist without this sincerity unless you paid some honor to the people in which were missed out of these stories I read a statistic that women appear less in spaghetti westerns than horses and I felt like where is there space here to reclaim some land Really, you know, these things were conversations that weren't about spaghetti westerns. They were about the world in which we live now. And so it was like, how can we laugh at all of this crazy masculine violence? How can we reclaim space for people who've been forgotten? How can we make a line dance to kind of stamp out these really 
crazy injustices, really. I'm not writing a book on these subjects, you know, I'm hinting at ideas, I'm expressing things with small choreographic dialogues, you know, and the dancers, they're not vessels, they're people in the work and they have agency and process is collaborative and it's about real people in real time and to continue the discussion is to uh, also ask the kind of question of how can I keep going with something in order to challenge what's allowed on the stage like how can I make a sequel in order to push on what what contemporary dance can be in a sense. From your perspective what do you think is and isn't allowed on the stage at the minute what what kind of things would you like to to push for or to try and expand? I think that without meaning to where we're often extraordinarily locked into systems of belief about dance in a way maybe maybe ballet did it to us maybe it was like you have a first position you have a second position you have a third position and you know and then there's been a lifetime of people trying to break those rules but at the same time there is a an organization there that is the most funded that is the the most elite that is the most kind of esteemed form of dance which by the way I love and respect as well. But I think from this really harnessed, really sort of pinned down system of what dance can be, other things, you know, haven't been able to permeate in maybe such the same way. And as much as we say we're breaking free from these things, are we though? Are we really? Because I guess as well, like contemporary dance is always described or other art forms are often, very often um, described in relation to ballet. It's always about how they compare rather than just viewed on their own terms. Exactly. And then what is contemporary dance? And why use this word? And why then if we use this word, do we see a style? Because so, contemporary yeah. dance is just whatever's happening now really should be. So that should include hip hop and like Ooh. South Asian forms or this idea of Western <laughs> contemporary dance is just overtaking all of these things. Exactly. So, Oh yeah, I'm just trying to think about that really. Kind of coming back to what we we're saying about music videos before and breaking down boundaries between different art forms or industries. Uh, I also know that for the, both Cow Punches, there were amazing costumes designed by Andreas Krontaler from Vivian Westwood. How did this kind of collaboration come about? And maybe could you describe the costumes for our listeners who may not have seen them? How did it come about? I think I just asked them. I think I just had done something with them, maybe. Uh, maybe I'd done some fashion thing or I can't really remember. I just asked them, I sent an email and I said, I'm making this new work, it's a Western, it should, you you guys should do the clothes. with it. And, and they, they just sort of, you know, you send these emails and you, you often think you won't hear anything back. And they did get back and, and then that started quite a long collaborative process with Westwood really because we've done a lot of stuff together now. They costumed the first show and, you know, Westwood have always been obviously punk and obviously trying to dress the rich up poor and the poor up rich and it was always about reclaiming ground and always about having fun with political ideas. They made these crazy cowboy hats, cowboy boots, beautiful dresses that the men wore. Really to be able to work with those costumes was was such a pleasure. They're, they're such beautiful pieces, beautifully made things. I, I guess the whole theme is, is Western, yeah, it feels a bit like that. And then in the most recent one, Cow Punch of My Ass, I think sort of like big bloomers and big satin jackets and pink cowboy hat and it kind of just felt right with those guys always and we've done a lot more stuff together since as well you know for screen and other things too. You've also worked with other fashion houses as well like Gucci and, and Dior and uh, Burberry what do you think in general interests you in the fusing between fashion and dance and do you think that there's kind of a growing relationship between the two I mean I've noticed it I feel like a lot of fashion houses have had their runway shows with 
choreography and dancers on rather than just models walking up and down do you think that this is like a growing relationship between these two art forms yeah I mean I, I wonder if it's always been there in some way but I think it's becoming more popular I, I love fashion and I, I love I lo- I'm a Taurus I love luxury uh, and I love this idea like we were saying earlier of beautiful things I suppose I think that it's a perfect marriage isn't it costuming clothing dancing it makes sense really and then I feel like I'm, I'm talking about all these different art forms because you, you've worked across so many different areas which I think is amazing because I also saw you've done work, a lot of work with galleries and the Serpentine, the Tate and, and Christie's. Do you think perhaps because we've talked about kind of a snobbery in contemporary dance and theatre, do you think sometimes maybe galleries and museum spaces and visual arts are kind of a bit more open to the idea of working between different disciplines and cultural spheres? Well, they definitely are. They absolutely are. And I think that's why there's been such an influx of contemporary dance shifting over into a gallery setting, because there are the same sort of rules at play, really, you know. And I I think that you can see some of the most radical dance really existing at the ICA or outside of Saddlers, basically. Yeah, so basically, I think think that's exactly the reason why many, many dance artists are moving away from the more kind of normative setting. Mm -hmm. We've talked a lot about, yeah, this highbrow, lowbrow, in inverted commas, distinction. And a lot of that is centered around the discussion of accessibility and whether something's accessible to people or not. And I've read in a lot of interviews that you have this wish for your work to be accessible to a broader audience. What would you say your methods are for making sure your art is kind of open to everyone? Well, I just think it's about allowing of an inclusive conversation. I think that the work itself isn't void of fun and play. And I think that the cast are people from all over the place by which I mean from all types of choreographic backgrounds people always kind of often say you know what is it about the work that is maybe includes pop culture or well the work kind of is pop culture it isn't trying to pull reference from there it just kind of is that and I think that allows for a more inclusive space I mean I hope it does I I want the work to be allowing of everyone. I don't want to make work for a small amount of people just to stroke their chins and sort of discuss it quietly. I want to open the doors a bit, you know. And then moving forward, obviously you've mentioned the third instalment of the Cowpuncher series. Obviously we're in a, a difficult time at the minute, but hopefully things are opening up again soon. But is there anything that you've been working on at the moment or things that you're looking forward to uh, in the future? Well, I've been doing much more stuff for film uh, during the pandemic, which I've been extremely grateful for. And I've kind of gone back into doing more music videos, which has been really fun because it has been quite a while. So that's been great. I'm working on a new live work for 2023 at the moment. And then, yes, working on the Cowpuncher 3, if we're going to call it that, let's see. Yeah, the, the, the new most recent work is thinking a lot about memory, really and my lack of memory and a lot of things that I have forgotten in my past connected to my mental health. Everything you make is personal, let's not lie. I've never made any autobiographical work before, so this will be a new, already laborious (laughs) journey. And do you know already where it's going to be shown or shared? Or do you know what I do, but I, I'm not I'm not allowed to give that information yet. So when I do know, I, I promise I will tell you. But um, 
yes not not yet well it's very exciting and i look forward to hearing more when you can say so i have one final question for you which is because this is the terpsichore podcast and we focus on interviewing leading women from the dance industry it's quite a it's a difficult one but i was wondering if you could meet and talk to any female dance practitioner from history or alive today who would it be and why and, and maybe what would you want to ask them do you know what mine is maybe a really straightforward simple one in terms of someone who negated ideas of classical ballet and I'm interested in Isadora Duncan mainly I'm interested in her quite sort of wild life and how in the time in which she was alive she she had three children out of wedlock and she was extremely free in such a kind of male dominated landscape and I'm mostly want to talk to her about the grief she experienced. She lost both of her, well she had three children, the first two died in a in like a cart that crashed into some water like a taxi and she made a work about their death called Mother and as a mother I'm just wildly interested in how grief informed God, it's a morbid, morbid way to finish, isn't it? But I think it's just so heartbreaking and I wonder how on earth she survived this time and then she did have another child that also died before she died. And I just can't believe the grief this incredible woman experienced and I wonder how on earth she made work or if these things really were like her life's work, you know, and I just, I would like to talk to her about that, I think. That's a really interesting answer. Thank you. Well, thank you so much, Holly, for your time today and talking to us. It's been super interesting and uh, have a great day. Thank you. Thank you. Lots of love. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed the eighth episode of the Terpsichore podcast with the amazing Holly Blakey. If you would like to find out more about Holly's work, you can follow her on Instagram at Holly T. Blakey. If you've enjoyed this episode, I'd be so grateful if you could subscribe and leave us a rating and review, as it helps other people to find us. You could also follow Terpsichore Mag on Instagram, or sign up to our newsletter via our website, www.terpsichore-mag.com. Thanks so much again for listening to the Terpsichore podcast with me, Emily May.